Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, Mm. if you will, travel back in time with me to the year 1992. Okay. How many shirts did you own that were decorated with fabric paint, puff paint? So 1992, I would have been like 15 or 16. So not that that many, though we did make them as like a... uh, you know, school spirit type thing once, if I recall. Okay. So the fact that fabric paint has gone extinct, I had like so many shirts that had fabric. We would do it at like birthday parties, you know, like- That makes sense. That makes sense. This is a way for kids to just like keep their hands to themselves for, you know, half an hour or whatever. But they've pretty much gone extinct. You don't see puff paint shirts around anymore. No, though I do spend a fair amount of time at Joanne Fabrics and it all does still exist. Okay. Well, something tells me that there was something wrong with it, though. Like, why did it go away? Like, it like was... red M&M's? <laughs> yeah. Oh, did red M&M's go away? No, remember they did because they had, like, red dye number seven in them or whatever, and then they brought them back, I guess, with some more tolerable dye. Okay. Because here's here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that the puff paints of the 90s um, contain some ingredients that are eventually going to give me superpowers. <laughs> like make you glow? Yeah, I would hope for superpowers over cancer, although cancer tends to happen more with toxic chemicals than superpowers, unfortunately. I mean, as long as you didn't huff them, maybe you're okay. Yeah, I didn't. I was not a I was not a craft supply huffer as a child. So <laughs> I'm hoping that that everything will turn out okay. All right, let's get to the show. This week we are joined by Jay Smith Cameron and Naomi Akparagan to tackle the following questions. What is Justice Gorsuch's problem? Is Succession actually the funniest show on TV? How much of an acting challenge is it to talk dirty to a Culkin? What is a pick-me? And why are we suddenly afraid of male surgeons? All this and more right now. Okay, Alyssa, have you gotten COVID yet? Uh, I, uh, in theory, had COVID in April of 2020, but there were no tests, so we'll never know. Right. You know, I haven't got I haven't gotten COVID. Yeah, I'm knocking I'm knocking on my head, which will we will consider wood right now. I haven't gotten COVID during the time that we were aware that a person could get COVID, mm-hmm. but I did get really sick in December of 2019 at the very end of the month, and like I never get sick. I was a filthy child, like dirty outdoor kid. Right. For whatever reason, I've always had a pretty good immune system, but I was like knocked on my ass for a couple of days at the end of December, 2019. So I wonder if that was it. Could have been. Could have been. Because mm-hmm. if it wasn't it, I feel very vulnerable. Even though I'm triple vaxxed, I feel like it's coming for me. I mean, it's like, look, do, I mean, does, did the fact that I had it in April of 2020, potentially, does it even mean anything two years later at this point? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We don't and know. It, That's part of the problem. It used to be that like having COVID was something that 
was kind of like, oh no, they've got, you know, what did they do to get COVID? But now it's like, I just feel like the Omicron variant just sort of lights on whoever it feels like it wants. So, you know, like I have a, I have a friend from college who she and her family, all of them tested before they got together for Christmas. Every single one of them was negative. They got together for Christmas. They were the only people that they saw were each other, went home, like they all had COVID. Right. Like somehow Omicron snuck in there. So um, I just feel like it's, it's, if I haven't had it already, it's coming for me. I feel like I feel the same. I'm just trying to be as safe as I can. I mean, it's like I've made it this far, literally only hanging out with myself. So what's a few more months, I guess? Yeah. I mean, I I kind of am worried that I've lost the ability to hang out with people. We've been inside for so long. When people talk about making plans, I get real stressed. Like, mm-hmm. I got an invitation to someone's birthday party in February with all the bells and whistles. Must be vaxxed. Less than 10 people. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, my God, really? Is this something that might have to happen? But, I mean, yeah. I guess at some point. But I really, I don't, yeah, I don't really know how I'll do when I have to be around more than one person. <laughs> I mean, I don't blame you. Uh, as of January 12th, the seven-day moving average of daily new cases was 782,766. That's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, that was an increase of 33% compared to the previous seven-day moving average. Um, it's There's a lot of people with COVID right now. Um, I think officials are speculating that in some places it's even peaking mm-hmm. um, because at this point it's like everyone would have either – is going to get it basically. It's it's right. just going to be you know the numbers of people who have yet to get it are lower than the people who have already gotten it, um, which is you know it's a little kind of a relief. You know we hope we don't get another variant. I, I guess. guess so. But as long as so many people still aren't vaccinated, the threat of another variant is so real. Mm-hmm. You know that's what's like the selfishness of people who still haven't been vaxxed. It's like. You know, and and the idea too that so many people say, well, Omicron is mild. It's mm-hmm. well, it's 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 more mild. Um, there are still some people who are really really sick from it, mm-hmm. and people who are double vaxxed and boosted. And so, you know, I just feel like there's still a bit of a road ahead, even if mm-hmm. some places are peaking, because there's still huge parts of the country with really low vaccination rates that haven't really gotten hit yet. And I feel mm-hmm. like when they do it won't be good. I think like as of two days ago, there were no ICU beds left in the entire state of Oklahoma. Yeah, that's not good. No. I feel like, you know, coming from a rural area, I feel like when COVID first started because it hit the cities first because mm-hmm. higher population density, I feel like people in rural areas thought that they were going to not have to worry about it. Like it didn't right. apply to them. Um, and it does apply to them because everything that affects almost everything that affects cities also applies to them. Crime applies to them, even though right. they think that crime is exclusive. They're they're going to get it. And the thing that worries me about rural areas with a lot of unvaccinated people, like where I'm from, um, and like much of Oklahoma, is that while the outbreaks won't be as large in terms of numbers because there's fewer people, the resources available right. to help the people when they get sick are really, really sparse. Like the closest hospital to my hometown is a half an hour highway drive away, country driving, not right city driving, half an hour drive away. And uh, they don't have very many beds. I had a friend's, a friend's mother got sick with COVID, got very sick with COVID last year. And she had to be flown to one of the Dakotas for a hospital bed. Shit. Across the entire state of Minnesota. Like it's just, 
it, it, it worries me. Um, but you know, it's sort of like at this point, everyone's kind of in the fuck it phase. I know. I know. I'm, I'm not yet. I'm not. I, I'm, I can't be cause I don't want my baby to get COVID. Um, right. even uh, which would be a nightmare. Um, but yeah, it, fe- it feels like everybody's kind of in the fuck it phase. I feel like, um, the CDC revising the isolation period down from, from 10 days to five days kind of spooked a few people because it seemed like that was just made to serve capitalism rather than made to serve public health. Right. Or the alternative is that it could have been five days all along. Right. And which this is was, like, ugh. I know, but like you get the crazy anti-vaxxer and COVID denier people who are like, it, it gives, it gives some fuel to their crazy fire. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. But uh, one kind of small silver lining of this week, a government website worked. It did. Holy it shit. It did. Do you want to talk about it, Alyssa? Uh, I was able to order my tests, uh, my free COVID tests um, from the USPS website. It was one step. It was very easy. And I thank you, USPS, because uh, I also then watched this morning the burden that this is going to put on the USPS. Um, And it was pretty incredible to see sort of the warehouses they already have set up where they're just waiting for the tests to arrive and then they will start shipping them out. Um, And luckily this happened right when some of their holiday carriers, like their contract folks were still around. So they were able to bring them back to help deliver and package these tests and get them to us. Wow. It's almost like we really need the postal service to function. We really need the postal service. I just wish they would deliver me fewer flyers for grocery stores, like our two (laughs) neighborhoods over that I'm never going to go to. Like, I don't care if grapes are on sale. I'm not going all the way over there. Um, Yeah, I was actually really surprised by how smooth it was. So smooth. Smooth. I mean, we just got to see if they come now. (laughs) Yeah, I guess like this, you know, a lot of people were talking about this yesterday. I guess this is a testament to how many people will actually use government services if the tech behind them actually works. Good point. Let that be a lesson. The tech should work. Tech Um, first. Yeah. Oh, I uh, we we have a lot of stuff to get to in the show today, so we can't talk news for too long. But we do have a sort of we have a controversy to talk. We're going to teach the controversy. Um, We have a fuck that guy, a real important fuck that guy. Yes. It's uh, today's fuck that guy is Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch. So. We're recording this on Wednesday. This is a developing story. Which breaking, 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 breaking story. Um, Nina Totenberg reported on Tuesday that the chief justice had asked all of the um, Supreme Court justices to wear masks out of respect for Sonia Sotomayor. Justice Sotomayor has diabetes, which puts her at a more vulnerable place uh, for, for severe COVID infection, even though she's, I'm assuming, vaccinated. So according to Totenberg's reporting, only Neil Gorsuch refused. And because of his refusal, Sotomayor has to participate in arguments and conference remotely. Right. So that's an extreme fuck that guy to Neil Gorsuch. Extreme? Like, why didn't he have to go remote? (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Seriously. Exactly. Oh, my God. Yes. Neil Gorsuch should have had to go remote. But now, Aaron, tee up. Okay, now tee up the controversy. So today, Justices Sotomayor and Gorsuch released a joint statement, a suspicious joint statement. This is the statement. Reporting that Justice Sotomayor asked Justice Gorsuch to wear a mask surprised us. It is false. While we may sometimes disagree about the law, we are warm colleagues and friends. Recall that Nina Totenberg's reporting 
didn't say that Sotomayor asked Gorsuch to wear a mask. Said that Chief Justice Roberts asked Gorsuch to wear a mask. Sus. Legalese. These judges Sus. with their weaselly legally language. Um, what do you think about this? Do you think that that the statement is true or do you think that Totenberg's reporting is true? So look, we know Nina doesn't fuck around. So it's Totenberg really, really hard to imagine that she would have reported something that wasn't like very sourced um, and confirmed. And yeah. it feels like maybe John Roberts was a little bit like, fucking get this shit together. People are losing faith in us as an institution. They can't think that like this is happening amongst us. Um, I feel like that's maybe what happened. But um, yeah, I got to I gotta say it would be um, – really just beyond belief to think that Nina Totenberg had 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 run a story that was false. Yeah. Nina Totenberg has been in the Supreme Court for more hours than Justice Gorsuch has. Correct. She has been reporting on the Supreme Court for longer than almost every member of the Supreme Court has been there. Do you remember when um, it was sort of the beginning of COVID and it came out that she might get laid off uh, at NPR because of just, you know, everything that was happening. And like the internet went crazy and all every like smart legal person was like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's yeah. got to be a better way to like yeah. cut costs than this. Right. I mean, she's she's a national treasure, a great reporter. I don't think Totenberg was lying. I think Roberts is vain. We stand by her reporting. <laughs> we stand by Nina Totenberg's reporting. We don't know anything. We have no background information. No, no we know nothing. We just believe that Nina Totenberg is Look, telling the truth. Sometimes we're witches and using our witchcraft. Just going to say. Yeah. I think I think that's that's a fair way to come to conclusions about facts right. regarding the news. I think so too. Okay, we have one thing that we thought was going to be a toast, but it's actually fuck that guy. It's like it's like 25% toast. It's right? twists and twists and turns, right? It was we it's it's so sad when we get excited about something and we're texting about it and then we're like Sad trombone. Oh. <laughs> okay, so yesterday we were like, oh my goodness, this guy is based. Wow. Um, the University of Alabama head coach and West Virginia native Nick Saban. Nick Saban. Nick, Sa- Nick Saban, fo- the football guy, um, was one of the people who signed on to a letter urging Joe Manchin to pass the Freedom to Vote John R. Lewis Act which is something that is not going to pass because of Joe Manchin. Correct. But Nick, Nick Saban was trying to encourage him to pass it. Um, but then we were like, yay, Coach Saban, great. Record scratch. <laughs> great, yeah, record scratch. Upon closer look, there's a footnote from Saban. Coach Saban is not in favor of getting rid of the filibuster in the Senate. He believes this will destroy the checks and balances we must have in our democracy. Stick to sports, dude. I went from— Like, he didn't have to have a take on the (laughs) filibuster. Also, like, nobody needs to have— The filibuster is ridiculous. Like, anybody who's like, my filibuster has been completely bamboozled by the right-wing media (laughs) that needs the filibuster to exist so that their red state people can derail a progressive agenda for the rest of the country who wants positive change. Like— uh, no, who you fucking dweeb? You don't care. Like you, you don't get anybody who's like save the filibuster deserves to get a wedgie. 
that was like one of our funnier texts. It's like, wait, what? Wait, what? Nick Saban has a take on the filibuster? What, did somebody ask him? It's like, how did this all happen? <laughs> oh, you know what? If Nick Saban has a take on the filibuster, let's ask Bernie Sanders if he has a take on, you know, roll tide. Different, different <laughs> offensive strategies for the Alabama Crimson Tide. I mean, <laughs> but I mean, they did lose the national championship this year to Georgia. So maybe Bernie Sanders could be in a Maybe he could help. I don't know. It's so dumb. I don't even think about Nick Saban, except when I see him on TV and I'm like, oh, he's looking old. Um, he's but, been around forever. Yeah. Wow. He's he's kind of like one of those um, – he's like one of those sportscasters that never ages. Totally. Like the Gumbles. Did I ever tell you I wanted to go to Alabama? What? Why? To college. Yeah. My mom just told me. She's like, I don't think they'd like you at all, Alyssa. I don't think you'd make <laughs> any friends there. And I was like, huh, that's so weird. I don't know why. I just thought it was interesting. Uh-huh. Well, Alabama is a is a physically beautiful state. It is, is physically beautiful. That is uh, politically troubled, um, and that's let, that's the end of that. I don't want to get angry <laughs> mail from Alabama. Um, anyway, okay, let's take a quick break. When we come back, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Uh, Jay Smith Cameron, aka Jerry from Succession, is joining us. You guys, I cannot believe that I'm sitting here with you. You are like, oh, nice. we're so excited. We are so Very, excited. I'm a big groupie. Oh, <laughs> oh, well, we're groupies. Oh, the groupiedom is mutual. Like, yes, it could not be more mutual. I would like to interview you two at some point. Oh, I would let you. We'll I don't have anything anytime. <laughs> okay. Let's, yeah. uh, what are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> anyway. And welcome back. This is Hysteria and the day has finally come. Joining us today is a hysteria icon and really a cultural icon. She's a Broadway veteran and stars as fan favorite Jerry on Succession. It's Jay Smith Cameron. Hello, everybody. So happy to have you today. Um, Let's get started with the important stuff. Did you ever expect to be a sex symbol at this point in your career? (laughs) Uh, Not at all at any point in my career, particularly. Uh, So, no. (laughs) It's sort of surreal. Um, yesterday I was going to meet my friend at a bar and on my way, I passed like three young men and they're like, Hey, Jerry. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I know. I was like, Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Like how young are we talking? Like under 30? No, like in their thirties, I guess. I don't, I don't know. I'm really bad at that, but I get that a lot where I'll pass like a, it may be, I think women recognize me too, but they don't blurt it out, you know? Oh, I would blurt it out. out Yeah. (laughs) Well, they might, they're the type, you know, women, I'm generalizing horribly, but women will, will be sort of politely, like they won't interrupt you in the middle of something, you know, they'll be, they tend to be more like, oh, I just wanted to say, I watch your show or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I don't mind the young men going, hey, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That sounds like such a trip. Um, so Jerry's role was originally written to be played by a man. Uh, which would have been boring, in my opinion. Um, when you tried out for the role, was it the role that you tried out for? Like, how did it become for a woman? That's a really good question. I don't know that I know exactly, except Doug Abel, who was casting in season one, who has cast me before and cast some of my husband's movies. So I knew him a little bit. And he ca- called me and he said, I know that the character is written as a man. It was J-E-R-R-Y. Mm. Um, but, you know, we're we're just sort of, sort of thought maybe we should see some women for the part. But then much later I ran into uh, Doug and he was like, 
no, I had a real idea to call you in. Like, but so I don't know what happened, but I went on tape and, um, you know, it was, had not been rewritten for a woman yet. I mean, not that it was subtly, you could kind of tell because the way, the crude way the men speak to each other on the show, well, everyone speaks to each other now, but at that point, it seemed to me to be written to be among men. Like it was kind of very crude put downs and crude vulgar language and without any awareness that they were talking to an older woman, you know, the other mm-hmm. characters. So I just went with it because I thought it would be really funny if she was sort of unflappable, but at the same <laughs> time, just routinely disgusted with them. Like they were just ridiculous fig- figures of ridicule for her. So I just weathered all the, all the insulting things like um, with just the slightest wince that became a real Jerry thing going forward, right? Like her rolling her eyes or her like, ugh, that <laughs> thing happens constantly became sort of a thing. And I think I remember doing that in my audition and I remember Doug giggling and Jesse wasn't in the room. It was just, a, I just went on tape. And then they decided to meet people in the room. They were going to meet some women for it. They called me back, I guess you would say, but I couldn't go because my mother had passed away and was the, I was literally in Virginia. It was her memorial. And I said, listen, I would really like to be considered for the role, but I, I can't come back in and meet them. I just, you know, even if they waited, I don't think I'm in any shape to go in and meet people this week. So it just turned out, you know, they just, I guess they just went with the tape. And I think they'd seen the film Margaret that mm-hmm. I have a big role in and, Kieran is in it and Jeannie Berlin is in it. They've cast a few people for Margaret, mm-hmm. one of my husband's movies. Oh, cool. um, so I think that might've also been material that they considered or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Well, okay. So just, this is a kind of big question. What iconic role that was written for a man do you think you could knock out of the park? <laughs> oh, snap. Um, <laughs> Stage or screen? Well, you know, everyone wants to do Hamlet and I'm a little long the tooth for that. I'm putting that, but maybe uh, Iago or um, Shylock. Those are both villainous. I love (laughs) Hamlet, but that's such a, almost like a sacred cow. Like no one, no one can really check all the boxes with that part. It seems in my experience, it's so great. It's so rich. And it's really um, kind of a gender fluid kind of part. A lot of women had played that part and, if it was written today, he probably would be non-binary, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, he's a university student and he's in culture shock going back to his castle where his parents are. And he's horrified by the moral morality. So it's it's, it's very pertinent to now. That, mm-hmm. that play. I'd love to see that. Okay. So here, one, congratulations, because Succession is being nominated again for all the awards this season. And the thing that Aaron and I have talked about is that, like, Succession's always nominated under drama, which is technically what it is, but it's funnier than most of the comedies <laughs> that we watch. Um, it's very dark. It's very fucked up. Why do we think – why do we think it is so funny? We should be repelled by the characters, yet I find myself rooting for each one of you in a different way. Oh, that's – yeah, I know. That's interesting. Um, I don't know. I remember when we did our, when I did my first table read because I want the Jerry, there was no Jerry character in the pilot and they had shot that months before. Right. So when we read, I guess the first two in the room, Jerry's part of the story, the waystar part of the story, particularly seemed very cloak and dagger and kind of lots of insults and the family drama, which is so Greek and so Shakespearean and all that, that wasn't where my head was because I was not in that part of the story at that time. And so I remember asking him, is this a comedy or a drama? And he was like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And he said to me, 
a really good piece is both. Like, so I think it's sort of arbitrary to him. I, I, I know that he, that that central drama between the siblings seems to me what Jesse's most passionately interested in and that everything else, the corruption and the world of it behind it is, you know, bleak. And I think he is also making a huge commentary, like a political and social satire of, um, you know, people who are just filthy rich and don't think about other people, don't care about other people and are grasping and backstabbing and all of that. And I, I think it's very clearly a put down of those people. But what you said, Alyssa, is true. Like people do kind of like the characters and that invites a lot of like, why are we liking these characters? They're horrible. But I mean, I think that's the nature of, of satire, you know, like if you don't have some way you buy into the people, you just turn off, don't you? You don't pay attention right. to the story at all. Like, they're anti-hero, like Jeremy's character and Kieran's character. They're, they're sort of anti-heroes. They're they're horrible, but you you know they're 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 trying. They're striving, and I think characters that are striving are just really appealing. Um, like I said, I wanted to play Iago. Like that's a terrible person, but he's striving for something, you know. And I right. think it's I think that is just one of those things we're fascinated by in all of drama, whether it's dramatic or comedic, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of. Uh... Kieran, um, how did the Roman and Jerry subdom relationship come about? That's one of my favorite parts of the show. It's like so fucking funny, but also extremely intense at the same time. Yeah. Um, how do you go through those scenes with him without breaking? Well, we do sometimes. <laughs> it was, you know, I feel like it started with this kind of really uncomfortable thing for me to be, um, you know, he was pursuing her. And then I was like, well, how does Jerry feel about this? She'd be way too careful. Even if she was wildly excited and wanted to jump right in, she wouldn't. She's too careful. She's very careful. And then it's so weird and unexpected. Like she's known him his whole life. Like, it's not like they just met at a convention and, you know, people were drinking or something. It's not like that. It's like this. So I was so nonplussed, which I mean, by which I mean just puzzled by it. And I remember um, trying to kind of ask Jesse, like, uh, so what does Jerry think of this? Like, I this is this fabulous new plot twist, but I don't know what to make of it from my point of view. And he said, well, you know, I mean, I think, you know, uh, he's a very charismatic person and he's a Roy and, you know, the, you know, he was telling me strategic reasons why, Jerry would could use the alliance. And I was like, no, I, I get intellectually why she would pause and figure out she would take it seriously. But how does she feel about it? And he, I don't think he understood my question. It was sort of like, hey, that's why we hired you guys. You have to <laughs> that's, you have to figure that shit out. That's that's hard. That's too, that's too weird for me. And that's just his, I don't know, I might have him all wrong, but that's just his impression, my impression of him. And he does treat us like resources, like he kind of watches us for our how you know what we like and don't like as the characters. It's interesting. Uh, it's a very very collaborative show, much much more so than anything I've ever worked on, in, in a really satisfying way. But I remember I was sitting in the uh, car. I, uh, my car was parked in the street, and it was the day you had to move it for the street cleaning. <laughs> and I was sitting there hoping to keep my spot. And I was talking <laughs> to Michelle Matlin, who does the costumes, and we were talking about the scene where I make him go in the bathroom. Roman. This is unacceptable. This is completely inappropriate. Yeah? What would your family say if they knew you were here? Oh, what would my family, Jimmy, fuck corn, I don't care. Yeah, but you do care. No. Yeah, I know you do. And they would be ashamed of you. And rightly so. OK. 
Okay, I'm very sorry, Jerry. No, you don't get to speak. You have always been a disappointment, but this is just... You have gone beyond the pale. I have? Oh, yeah. You know what you are? What am I? You are a sick fuck. You are a sick fucking animal. And at that point, it wasn't clear that I was wearing pajamas. I... I, I think I, we talked, she and I talked about it then. I think I suggested that because I just love pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I love pajamas. And I thought one of the things that's fun about the character for me and I think for the audience is she plays her cards so close to the vest, you don't know about her private life. So any t- like the idea of going into her guest room and she's in silk pajamas, like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> weird, like peek into, but so anyway, I just said, I just have no idea how I feel about it. I don't know whether I'm supposed to feel titillated, repulsed excited, scared. Um, I don't know how to feel about it. And, and she just very calmly said, well, I, I expect that Jerry wouldn't know how to feel about it. So it's, it was this really dumb, obvious acting equation. I was like, okay, it's you. You're in this situation. Kieran is cute. He's smart. He's funny. He's powerful as a character. And, you know, it is titillating, repulsive, scary, inappropriate, funny, um, dangerous all at once. And that it that I think that made a really interesting acting problem for me. That was how to just change on a dime, moment to moment. Be like, oh my God, horrified by him. And then kind of like, oh, let's see how far I can push this. Let's see how I can. <laughs> and then like uh, maybe a moment of a frisson of like maybe a little ripple of sexual excitement or interest <laughs> and, and then immediately like taking control of the situation. Like, I don't think, I think her dominatrix element is sort of by accident. Cause I think she's just so grouchy and, <laughs> and bossy with him mm-hmm. that, that, you know, that she's trying to tell him he's gross and that turns him on. And it's kind of like a shock to her. She's not doing it to turn him on <laughs> until she, until she catches on. So it was like, particularly that scene in, in the Turnhaven episode, I felt like I should have won uh, some kind of like, blue ribbon or something (laughs) (laughs) like for succession horses. Like, like it was every micro beat of every little line flipped for Jared. Like the world was spinning, like thinking on her feet. And it was the last scene we shot of that episode. And it was something like 3 a.m. when we got to it. Everyone was fried. They had to be out of the location. They knew that they had to pack up once we finished. So we, those of us who think about the crew and their needs, you're, you can't help it. You're aware of it. You don't want to mess up your line. You want to get it right pretty quickly. You want to, you know, and all these were sort of hardships, but also kind of shook us into the moment because we had to like, you know, do it. And I kept saying to Mark Mylod, who's a wonderful director, I was like, um, I think that everything in her is saying, gross, no, stop it, cut it out. You're going to get us both in trouble. And that there's a little bit of like, it's a little fun to be the seductress if I could just sneak it in once in, once in a while. And he was like, yeah, I think that's it. But then it really had to be broken down, like into, as I've said already, these micro beats. So it was really challenging. It was one of the most challenging things I've ever done. Oh my God. As you said, Jerry is very careful. Jerry's very careful. And my favorite scene of the last season was the finale when Roman comes to Jerry and he's basically asking her to help stop the merger, and she says, how does this serve my interest? I'm focused on whatever outcome best serves the financial interests of the shareholders of the company. But it doesn't serve my interests. 
How does it serve my interests? One, I will have that on a sweatshirt at some point in my life. <laughs> but how? help us understand, how does staying at Waystar serve Jerry's interests? Well, it's opposed to being where? Like... As opposed, she is the most moral of the bunch. She knows, she sees, she has the bird's eye view. Many seasons back, she was the one who had to pull um, Kendall aside and be like, yo, you know, we're billions over leveraged. And like, so you, Jerry knows where all the bodies are buried. So does she stay there? Even though in her nature, it feels like working there would be repellent, but is it just too much of her DNA now? I think it that's very well put. I think it's very much in her DNA. I think she feels like she built a career there that's very good because I think she flourishes when she's not in the line of fire. So that big responsibility that Kendall keeps trying to be of the spokesman and the frontman and the, you know, I think that is like, yeah, you do that. And I'll be quietly pulling the levers behind the curtain because I think that's how she best achieves her goal. And I think, I think that must be just really satisfying to her. And I think it's not nothing that she built her way up over maybe decades in that company. And she has this incredible salary and great, you know, homes and cars and everything you want, you know, like she's made this, I think that's, she's, it's not about where she's getting. It's about keeping her status, I think. Right. Cause I think she likes what she has. I mean, it's a huge achievement. It seems to be um, female CEO and, you know, I'm not a spring chicken. Like, you know, a lot of times it'll just be like someone who's in their sixties, would get traded out for someone in their forties or younger. I don't think she wants the idea of starting over at that age. And I don't think she wants to retire. So she has a lot of power. I mean, she seems to keep being the only person who knows she has all that power. Like, right. Like, well, they don't know it, but I don't care. You know, (laughs) and so I think, um, Gosh, it is a little Iago-ish when I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you like convince someone to murder somebody at some point, then, then it's really on the nose. Never say never. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that I don't think that Jerry's the most moral one. I mean, mm-hmm. I'd like to think that, but mm-hmm. I really would. And I think maybe she is something more of a human being than other some other characters. Like maybe has it within her. But I think what she is is a strict to the letter of the law person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think when she accidentally seems to align with something moral, it's more that she's trying to keep them out of trouble. Mm -hmm. So you're like, she's like lawful evil. (laughs) Right. Well, like, you know, like she's just going to defend her, her client Mm -hmm. um, using the law artfully and not, she's not the judge. She's just there to represent her client. And I think Mm -hmm. that, I mean, there was one, the scene where, um, we see into her apartment for the first time, well, the only time we have yet so far, um, when Roman calls and that becomes the first sort of phone sex scene they have. It was the episode where there was a shooter that turned mm-hmm. out to be a suicide. That was mm-hmm. so interesting, such an interesting episode. And I said, you know, she should be home watching the news coverage, but she should be watching the Pierce news. She wants to see the real coverage. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought in little ways like that, you would see right. some edge of her bias if she, you know, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Um, does Jerry even like the Roy family? Does she have any affection toward them at all? Or is it all just her following the law and doing what she's supposed to do? Well, I, my knee jerk reaction is to say that she, um, really likes Logan and she really likes Roman. Mm-hmm. I think Roman in, in this, in the, in the way that this is unfolded, 
I think it's so sad that she had to like, you know, she had to part ways with Roman Mm -hmm. because I think in spite of everything, he's kind of got under her skin and she's, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know that they would ever see their way into having actually having sex, (laughs) but I mean, for many reasons, like, I don't know. I I bet if Jerry were to turn around and say, okay, let's go. Like he would have cold feet or something, you know, something would go wrong. I don't know. But I think that in spite of everything, like this, she got this real affection for him. Like, Mm -hmm. like, I think she's probably always wanted a protege and he has a lot of potential if he could just not be such a slimy, you know, (laughs) weirdo. (laughs) If he would just stop sending things. (laughs) Sending things and, and. (laughs) Anything he thinks comes right out of his mouth. He's no, (laughs) no edit. He's no, you know, you know, so um, that's very opposite attracts kind of thing from Jerry. Mm -hmm. Like very careful about choosing her words all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think her affection for Logan is just that they've been in battle together, like for so many years. And it's that sort of fondness of like, he's like this tough general and he is a sort of maverick and he goes rogue a lot and that's not her thing. And I think he's been politically um, and in a business way, like rewarded for his daredevil approach. And so I think she sort of admires that because it's like, that is not in her DNA, you know, unless we were talking about, like, I think that that's like, she's like, okay, I don't get that, but that's this little thing, magic thing that sometimes Logan pulls off. Right. Um, And so when push comes to shove, she's going to bet on his ability. Like uh, when I, in season one, when I taught, I don't remember which scene it was, but I remember saying to Kendall, like, no, you know, the shareholders have bet on Logan, on Logan's business acumen, not yours. Right. You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, no matter how we judge him and how you think he's a dinosaur and this and that, you know, he's just, he's had this enormous success and he's this giant. So, um, and also, you know, when I tell him we're in debt, you know, I've, I've dodged being in the very, well, it's the second episode, my first episode. Um, you know, they, they ask me to be interim CEO then. I mean, Roman does. He has a scene where he's like, would you uh, consider doing this? And I'm like, no, thank you. And my excuse is I don't want the job that makes your brain explode. Like presumably what happened to, to uh, Logan. Like he has, mm-hmm. I, had a stroke or whatever. I was like, no, thank you. And then I said to Jesse, he was like, so I don't have any ambition to do that. And he said, you don't want it when you're $6 billion in debt. <laughs> get, take that fire. And I was like, duh, duh. so it's beautifully written because we announced them. And I go, I need to speak with you right away. We go up to the roof and I tell them how in debt we are. And I'm like, don't jump off. And that's <laughs> how they ever established that, that thing of Kendall on the, edge of jumping, you know, like mm-hmm. right. this motif through everything of him being on a precipice and feeling suicidal. Mm-hmm. So when we're, we're not going to keep you for too much longer because I'm sure you have <laughs> other things to do. Um, although we could sit here and ch- chat all day. This is so fascinating. Um, what do you do when you're not working to unwind? I know when I was like writing in TV, I couldn't watch TV shows because it would be like, ah, I would think about work. Oh. So like, do you, do you have that sort of thing? Or do you like, do you do something else to unwind? Well, everything is so different because of the pandemic. Like the way I used to think of that, I was much more with people and outdoors and not, not, out, not I'm not saying I'm outdoorsy particularly, but I would. <laughs> do things with people and be out and about and go to the theater and go to concerts. And I don't do that so much anymore um, because it scares me. I mean, 
you know, I, I and I feel very um, feeling like it's our responsibility to be careful and all that, you know. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I actually have watched a lot of television <laughs> more than usual because I, I grew up being a theater person, really. I would be in the, you know, occasionally be in an indie film or something, but I did all this theater and I was always in a play. Television has in the meantime, exploded open into this cornucopia of choices. And it's made for all these niche things and people being able to write about all kinds of things for all kinds of audiences. And it's not as dumbed down. Like the fact that succession is such a hit and it's such a smart kind of thoughty thing. Like you have to pay attention. And even I who have read the scripts, when I, if I watch something again, I always catch something else between Mm -hmm. say Tom and Shiv or something that's not in my world that I didn't, wasn't there when they shot it. And I'm like, wow, there's so much more than what was just on the page because the actors have then added their, you know, it's more than the sum of its parts is what I'm saying. Like something happens when you shoot it, as you know, if you, you know, but um, so I find it, I have watched a lot of TV with my husband and Ted, Kenny was never really, you know, he loved to watch TV, but he never wanted to write TV before, but he's, I think he's interested now because my husband's a writer mm-hmm. and we've really gotten into TV because of the, side effect of COVID of binging. Right. (laughs) What have you binged most recently? Um, The Beatles documentary. Hmm. Oh my God. It's fantastic. I grew up like, you know, I grew up with the Beatles kind of there before my time a bit, but that let it be album. Mm -hmm. I had that as a teenager and like watching that documentary when they would have stills and every once in a while you'd get, you'd see this, you'd see the still from the album cover. I haven't looked at the album cover in years. I don't know where it is right now. And I'd be like, Oh, that's on the cover. Like, mm-hmm. like grabbed little shots. Like I mean, it was so iconic to me when I was a kid. And that is so intimate that uh, have you guys watched it yet? Not, no, yet. not yet. Oh my God. You're in for such a treat because, and it's a feat of editing because it was hours and hours and hours yeah. of footage. And so often the, the soundtrack is not what you're seeing. Like, so it's very artfully put together. Like you'll hear people talking here, but watch Paul, you know, playing, mm-hmm. playing around over here. You watch them basically write the song, get back. Uh, you watch it live happen. It's wild. And you That's kind so of cool. watch the power politics between them at that point in time. And you can kind of see and turn everybody's point of view a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's the most fascinating thing if you like music, if you like the Beatles, and if you are obsessed with human behavior the way I am, it's, not, <laughs> it's just an incredible thing to watch. Like, I can't wait to watch it again, in fact. Really? Wow. A rewatch yeah. of a documentary is like a, it's a real endorsement for sure. Well, you, you'll see it's very unique. It's very, because um, it's just like the camera's on them. And it's like, they're really, they're, they're working, they're trying to write a song and they're under some time pressure. So they're not as self-conscious. They're not that aware of the camera because it's just been kept running the whole time. So it's that it's one of those kind of documentaries where it's a lot mm-hmm. of really candid captures. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds great. Um, I wish we could keep you around for the entire episode because uh-huh. this was such a fun conversation. Thanks. Please come back, J. Smith Cameron. And uh, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, personal political.
This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix zero-sugar hydration drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe mushroom coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I, mean, I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast, no dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito, <laughs> not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. And welcome back to Hysteria, the podcast for people who miss going to brunch and overhearing the table of educated professional women sitting next to them talking about nicknames they've given their cats. Um, I am really excited to welcome our panelist, guest, co-host today. Uh, You know her. You love her. You can watch her 30-minute stand-up special on Netflix season two of The Stand-Ups. It's available now. It's so good. You can listen to her two podcasts, Couples Therapy and I Love a Lifetime Movie. She's also part of the new and final season of Search Party, as well as the mother of a small menagerie of beautiful animals. Welcome, Naomi Ekperigan. That was the most stunning introduction I've ever received. (laughs) I wasn't anticipating it. I assumed you were talking about Alyssa. (laughs) <laughs> um, to start off, to start off, you know, and, and then to, to realize it was me, you know, like that was, um, whew, you give me a reason to wake up in the morning. That's what <laughs> well, I was going to say, how, do you wake up in the morning? It sounds like you do so much stuff that like, there's no possible way for you to get any sleep. Exactly. So, you know, I'm not really a morning person and I do believe I talk about it in the half hour. So I'm a little bit of a zombie <laughs> and we just thank zoom for the touch up my appearance button. <laughs> Oh, really? I can I can't even tell that it was like a like a touch up appearance button. Yeah, honey, we smoothed it out just a little bit, just a little. I bit. had no idea such things existed. Wow, Alyssa's, I'm try doing that uh, Alyssa's a cool girl. 
<laughs> no, 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 it's just unlearned, I think. <laughs> um, Naomi, there's a few things that you have worked on that I want our listeners to hear you talk about a little bit before we get into the topic today. Um, I've heard the reception for your stand-up special has been really good. How has it felt to like get that feedback from people? It is, it is really nice. It is really weird. It's so funny because it's sort of this sense of a lot of people are kind of like, where have you been or what are you up to or you're funny you know and it's like honey welcome to the party i've been out in these streets since 2008 okay i've been out here so thank you but it has been very nice especially because you both know i was freaking out before taping it so for it to like go well because i was convinced at least part of the internet was going to be like you're trash go home (laughs) and that has not happened which is huge yeah. Wow, that's that's like a like a unicorn moment to not have people on the internet be like, you're trash, go home. I mean, I'm sure they're saying it somewhere, but they're not saying it to me. And that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I would say that you killed so hard in your stand-up you, special that you. I don't know if people would have the audacity to come to you, <laughs> and, tell you and tell you that you, they're like, that woman is unfuckwithable and I am not going to Ooh, say yes. anything to her. Yes. You've joined, joined the realm of the unfuckwithables. And then before we get to the topic, one more question. How's Maybelline? Thank you so much for asking about how my dog daughter Maybelline is. She is still in remission from her mammary cancer. Okay, six months strong. She's actually just opened the door to where I was trying to record privately. And she is now (laughs) pawing at my feet. And I said, well, you're going to have to hold it. You're going to have to hold it. (laughs) Well, that's great to hear. Remission. I uh, Remission. (laughs) That's what we sing in our house. That's a great song, uh, and I will be singing it too. <laughs> let's get let's get to the topic today. Um, we're going to talk about a pick me. Urban Dictionary defines pick me as a woman that is willing to do anything for male approval. She will embarrass or throw other women under the bus to achieve the goal. The unfortunate thing about a pick me is usually the men that they're trying to seek approval from are of poor quality and treat women badly, leaving little real benefit for the pick me. <laughs> Naomi, have we seen this before? Is the pick me a new phenomenon of the TikTok era or is it something, is it a tale as old as time? I believe a pick me is a tale as old as time. And by old as time, I mean the 80s. Because (laughs) do you remember so many movies that were about like a woman going undercover as a guy? To Uh kind of like an almost in going undercover as a guy, she would win the love of the guy? You see what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Because in a way, she kind of presented herself as like one of the boys. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Also, right. before we go any further, just to paint a picture for the listener, Alyssa is really giving us professor's office hours who doesn't have time <laughs> to hear your shit because your paper's late. <laughs> that is her energy right now. She is like very bundled, New England winter, but also just like, mm-hmm. what happened to you? I don't care. And so I just wanted to just step that out, you know, because the listeners know. But now also, do I believe it's, it, I believe the pick me girl is a very, it's a tale as old as time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Alyssa, I wonder if like you've seen this before in a specific sense. Like, was there a name for it when you were growing up a teenager and in college? Oh, you mean a guy's girl? Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm a guy's girl. I don't, I don't really have many women friends. <laughs> 
And they don't know that why. Was the, they don't know why. That was, they never understood why. And they're the ones that are just like super cool. Like in high school, they learned how to like roll their own joints. You know, they could tap a keg. They could, they were like, oh yeah, I can show up early and help you tap the keg. Um, and as you got older, they were the ones that would say things like, yeah, I don't know why. I just like have guy friends and they would like really painfully, it's almost a caricature, talk about like sports, which you know they had got, I actually know women who would get up and like study sports so that guys would think that they were like no. super chill and cool and down, which like that's literally the opposite Instead of, chill of being cool. super chill and down. <laughs> yeah, right? that is the least chill thing I've ever heard. Um, You know, it's funny because there aren't really the reverse of the pick me. Like there are men who you know, act foolish, but they're not like waking up in the morning and studying like the real housewives so they can right. have a conversation. Correct. Exactly. Um, and I wonder, like, you know, I was thinking about the pick me girl and and how it's become sort of a trope, you know, TikTok trope and, you know, like female dating strategy, which is that Reddit forum that is um, <laughs> very, it's a, it's a super interesting read. I will say that. <laughs> um, it, uh, you know, they talk about pick me behavior and a lot of it just seems like self- negating behavior, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, pretending that you're not who you are. But I also think at the base of it is an assumption. And this is the sad part, I think, is an assumption that men actually don't like women, like straight yes. men actually yes. don't like women at all. And so you have to act like a boy in order for or you have to, you know, identify with like a guy in order for guys to like you. Right. Um, Naomi, I wonder if you've I mean, you're saying yes and right. So I wonder if you have anything <laughs> to add to that. I know for me growing up, one of the things I tried to do so much, I didn't try to learn about, you know, stereotypically male things, but I definitely tried to not have emotions. I hmm. really, really was like, I'm going to be a girl who's like, I'm not going to freak out and no one's ever going to see me cry. Like every year... I don't know, maybe for like three years in a row, it probably would have been like seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade. I said at the start of the school year, I was like, I'm going to be a quiet girl. I'm going to be <laughs> quiet. Like my resolution <laughs> was to be quiet. And as you can imagine, it did not last long. <laughs> um, but I thought that being that way, in essence, right, like sublimating myself, sanding down my edges, trying to make myself small would somehow make myself more attractive. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and it was, uh, I just remember what my, I don't have necessarily a necessarily specific incident, but what I remember is a feeling, a feeling of trying hard, like every part of my body tensed up trying mm -hmm. to convey a vibe that was mm -hmm. not me at all, you know? Yeah. I I think I remember doing stuff like that too. I th I think I've talked about this on the show, but I dyed my hair blonde one year in college because I thought boys would like, I mean, I didn't <laughs> dye it all the way blonde because that would have caused it to like fry off my head because um, my hair is very dark, <laughs> but I got like blonde highlights oh. and like thought it was, look, it was the year 2003, uh -huh. I believe. Yeah. When we um, all got blonde highlights in we some all form got, or we another. Were, we were still getting, you know, we were still, some of us were still going to tanning beds. I was going to college <laughs> in Indiana. Tanning beds were still going on. Um, I had a, a highlighted hair because I thought boys liked it. It wasn't because I wanted to have blonde hair. Uh -huh. It was because I thought that it was more attractive. And like looking back on that, you know, there's a lot of cringy behaviors that I think I exhibited growing up. And some of it comes from just wanting to be accepted mm -hmm. just in general. And some of it comes from wanting to be accepted in a very specific way 
from guys. Um, and I was thinking about the pick me as I was prepping for the show. And it sort of reminded me of this other kind of corner that intersects with politics of culture. It's like the trad wife. Alyssa, do you know the trad wife? What's a trad wife? It's a traditional wife. It's oh. like a conservative. Not me. It's like a conservative <laughs> lady who's like, you need to cook for your man and tell him he's great. Basically like, you know, advising women to act like the wife on a sitcom. Like mm-hmm. married Yeah, Phyllis to like, Schlafly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I wonder if like <laughs> working in D.C., like you encountered that or like if you see kind of that advice being slung around now, like in order to make a man happy, you just have to do everything he wants. Or to get a certain quality of man, I would imagine. Yeah. Right? yeah, I mean, it was, it's interesting. It was a little bit less about like, I think the undertone was about getting a man. I think the overtly, it was like, this is how you can be a professional, respectable woman, mm-hmm. you know, but there were like blogs that used to track what we wore what and we say how like, we should be ashamed of ourselves and like, it was it was really I'll never forget because I'm so short. You guys know how short I am. And everyone I worked with was tall. And so I always wore flat shoes because if you're going someplace, you you're like a fucking hamster in high heels if you're trying to keep up with gazelles, you know? Uh-huh. And so there was this blog that would be like, it is a horrific embarrassment to the office of the president that these two women, myself and Nancy and DeParle, look at them in flat shoes, no pantyhose. Like, and if the sentence had kept going, it would be like, and you know, they don't even make dinner for their husbands. You know, like that was the, right. They don't know how to be put together. They don't know how to be like, how to keep it together. And so that was, I always thought that that was like, you know, but yeah, I mean, of course those women are like, there's like a whole Instagram of them. It's like, look how I'm like the perfect wife and mother. And it's like, mm-hmm. listen. But then of course, but oh, here's yeah. the problem though. And this is what I can't stand about it. Cause it's the same thing about, again, that pick me version of like, let me tap the keg or what, or like, right. let me <laughs> act like I'm not trying. What I can't stand about the perfect right. Instagram moms. It's always just like, <laughs> our house is a mess. But it's ours. And it's literally <laughs> a perfectly put together beige apartment. And like one fleck of paint is on a child's cheek. You know what I mean? And it's like, what can I a do? A little washable marker. A little washable marker. Exactly. Right. And you know, you know before those pictures are taken, they have like last looks. They're like, wait, everything is right? Like they oh my get God, a little powder? Guys, <laughs> did we just describe Hilaria Baldwin? <laughs> kind okay. of. Aaron and I bonded over Hilaria. <laughs> Every time there's any news of Hilaria, I will text Naomi to make sure that she is abreast <laughs> of the Hilaria news. Um, I think that, yeah, it's it's interesting how like pick meism or like doing things with the express intent of receiving male approval and attention. It's interesting how it evolves like prior to marriage and after marriage. And I think that that kind of speaks to this really destructive like set of expectations that women feel like they need to try to to meet. So like before they're married, they're down, they're riding four wheelers, they're, you know, they're doing they're, whatever. I'm just thinking of like Mormon momfluencers and like that's the thing they would have done because they're not drinking, they're not tapping kegs, they're like eating desserts and four-wheeling and and stuff. Um, But like, you know, and then after marriage, it's like you go from being the like bro to being like the mommy. And there's no like actual sexual self-realized woman who wants what she wants Mm -hmm. and pursues it. And that seems like, I don't know, it seems very sad to me. And I don't want to be like, I don't want to take away the agency of women who feel like they need to act in a certain way and put women down in order to fit in with men because like that's a choice that they're making. 
But the reasons that they're making that choice kind of suck. Um, and, and I sort of I sort of wish that they didn't exist. Um, well, yeah. I just wish, to me, sometimes what I, I think the, the biggest problem I have with it is this idea, you know, again, this um, pretending like you're not making the choice, pretending like you are not curating an identity. Right. That's what I don't like. It's like, well, I don't know why I don't have female friends. Yes, you do. Just say it. Be like, <laughs> well, I really try to be a woman who's out here trying to get mine, and I can't be around other women who threaten that. <laughs> like, just, mm-hmm. I would almost <laughs> rather that. I'd be like, I keep homely friends around because it's good for my self-esteem. Like, just be that person. Or just say, like, right. I'm on a husband hunt, so I am trying to do things to get me a husband. The thing I think is difficult is, as you're saying, not just because you're talking about, like, a sexual identity in between, but it's also, like, it seems like the only way out of being a pick-me is to be a mommy. I think that's mm-hmm. the problem. Because if you yeah. get married and you don't have kids, you're expected to continue to four-wheel until the cows come Well, out. you're a party. You become a party aunt, but a, a pick-me party aunt <laughs> who's nicer to her nephews than her nieces. It's just like times when I'm like, Erin was a journalist because how quickly she comes up with a phrase. You know what I mean? She's like, pick-me-ism, a pick-me party aunt. I'm like, okay. I'm like a mint the way that I'm coining things. You are. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that that's a really great point, Naomi, that like the, the mommy is the only way out because it's also like, yeah, you're eventually you sort of get to an age where you you sort of are not giving a man what he wants anymore because you're old. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And like, I, and I don't mean that in a way like whatever. (laughs) I don't think that like aging in any way takes anybody's value away. If anything, it increases their, their value and importance. But in the world of the pick me, like women lose value as they age. And I feel like, you know, there's a there's an expiration date. Is it that you lose your value once you've been picked? <laughs> oh, maybe. Mm. Like, is that the end of the line for the pick me girl? Once you've been picked, it's like, that's it. You've been yeah. picked. You got you got you got what you wanted now. Well, but like in a way I almost hope then, right? If that's the end of the line, I almost hope that in the pursuit of male attention taking on all of these traits, learning these things, waking up early for to learn about sports, I almost hope that you now believe all of it. You know what I mean? Like, I would rather right. you in this pursuit be like, you know what? I actually really like hunting, and yeah. it calms me. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, would, I want that to be true for you. I want it to right. be now that you've done these things, that you are actually into them, and you're not just going through the motions for the response of, wow, I don't even know girls who like to do that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I want you to actually like it. I need you to love it. <laughs> right. I think I think that's really interesting. And another thing that I think about when it comes to, like, pick me, I would I love that for the pick me girl to be like, I love hockey. I'm going to, like, pursue – you know what? I'm going to, like, start a blog about my favorite hockey team, and then it's going to get picked up by my local paper. Now I'm a columnist. Now I'm going on TV talking about this hockey team, and it's a career, and I've forgotten about all the men. You know, like, that would be cool. But – the thing that really is funny to me about like pick meism or, you know, guys, girl, not like the other girls, you know, whatever, is that male attention is really not difficult to get. <laughs> like it is, it is, it is very, very easy for a woman to get male attention. I don't know. I don't know, Erin. I'm going to say this as somebody who is not like a conventionally, was not considered a conventionally attractive woman. To get the attention of, like, 
depending on your type, right? And if your type is classically, classic conservative or traditional male specimen, Mm-hmm. Those guys like a very specific type of woman. Right. Totally agree. Right. I'm talking about male. Like, yes, that is a specific. You have to act. You have to dress up in a woman costume in order to like, <laughs> in order to attract that exact type of guy. But also, like, I'm talking about male attention in general. Just like, period. that's not Just the only. Hollering. Yeah, yeah on that's streets. not the only type of <laughs> guy. And like, you know, I, I, you have a good point, Naomi. That you know, there's specific conditions or a way that a woman can look that would make her less likely to get attention from men. But like, not all men, like the right kind of man, like the right kind of person can, will pay attention to you if you're a woman who is like interesting to them, you know, like there's, you don't have to. But that is a faith that a lot of women don't have. Yeah, I agree. Why Why do you think that is? So in college, I realized, I made it to my junior, I guess it was my junior year at Madison. And I realized no one had ever asked me, no one had ever, no one ever asked me out in college, period, full stop. I never went on a date for four years. Like, and I had these very beautiful friends and I sort of just accepted that I wasn't beautiful. I have other qualities, but I'm not beautiful. And so, um, they were like, Alyssa, you're just not trying. And I was like, what does trying mean? So there I, I went to Urban Outfitters on State Street. Oh. I got the, the black booty pants. Remember those? The fit and flare? Um, <laughs> oh, going out oh, pants? Oh, I had my going out pants oh. on. I had I got a, a, some sort of iridescent shirt. Yes. I had lavender MAC eyeliner, <laughs> like eyeshadow. I was like, all right, fine. I'm going to go for it. Naomi's feeling all of this. I did. <laughs> and I went to Stillwater's The Bar. And you guys, I will always and forever just be Mrs. Garrett on the facts of life. I'm like, all right, everybody, come on. It's closing up. Let's pay the tab. You know, it's like, and, but in that, in those months and those years that I tried, and also my first couple of years in New York City, I tried. I wore things that I would mm-hmm. not normally pick to wear. And I was like, you know what? I'd rather die alone than put on another tank top from Bebe with my like sandbag boobs and no bra. Like I would just rather die. And so, but I did for years. I think for years I was like, I didn't, I was not a a sort of caricature, I think. But I definitely tried to wear things that I thought men in bars might notice and talk to me. And I can tell you up until uh, I met my husband, he, we went to, we went, went out to dinner and then afterwards we met people and he bought me a drink and I was like, I think this is the first drink a man's ever bought me. <laughs> He's like, stop it. And I was like, no, I'm dead serious. <laughs> and so like, you understand where the pick me mentality can come from. Yeah. It's just whether or not you can see the forest through the trees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Alyssa, to be fair, I think you give off a vibe of a person who's like, if she wanted a drink, she would have a drink. There is no need for me to I don't tell listen. Her. I don't disagree. That's a hard thing to see though when you're 20. Exactly, right? no. exactly. Because right. you so didn't I will know that at 20, you. that you were giving off at that the, energy. Right. And that that's point, good energy to give off. At that point, the best Valentine's Day of my life was when I got my uh, I got my uh, fake ID taken away from me two weeks before Valentine's Day. And I had to spend <laughs> it alone. And I went to the movies and saw Jerry Maguire. And I was like, oh, my God, that was so much better than being at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's the thing that, that often gets thrown at women who don't try to act pick me enough. You know, like you're going to, you know, if a a woman is like comfortable living by herself, comfortable having like five cats or five dogs or no pets at all, a gerbil, a parakeet, whatever, like, or just, you know, just living alone, traveling by herself, not interested in like dating or wasting her time with someone who doesn't meet her standards. Like 
they always get like, you're going to die alone. Mm -hmm. You're going to, oh, yeah, you're going to die alone with cats. Would that really be bad? And I'm saying that (laughs) as a married woman with a child. Like, I'm happy with my life, but like, before I met Josh, I had gotten to a point where I was like, I could be fine like this forever. Like, and that's I, when they yeah. find you. That's when they find you. I'm convinced the moment you, because yeah. it's not simply stop looking, right? Because people always say, when you stop looking, no, no, mm-hmm. no. I believe stop a trying. man can sense when you don't give a fuck, okay? <laughs> and he suddenly smells it like a hormone. It's like, hey, girl, <laughs> I see you over here loving yourself. Can I buy you a vodka cranberry and ruin your life? That's what they want. That's what they want. They can sense it. And it always starts with a vodka cranberry. Hello. <laughs> I think it was actually like a ginger a ginger beer and Jameson was the Okay, drink. that feels right. You know, a little yeah. Jameson. Because you kind of yeah. are a little bit of a cool girl, Erin, because of your Midwestern <laughs> life. You no, know? no, no, no. That was that was given to me by Josh. That was like not a oh, I, I didn't go to the bar. Oh god. No. I drink I drink beer and I don't like to brag about it because I don't want people to think that I'm like Oh, pick me. Well, especially because but exactly what you said though, it's like why would anyone even quote unquote brag? It's like cool brag? Do you see what I'm saying? The idea that like beer then becomes like beer becomes a representation of who you are as a person. Right. And right. that I think is the is the part we're talking about where it's just like drink what you drink, do what you do, but don't be like Okay guys, I know it sounds crazy. But I'm into IPAs. <laughs> I mean, that sounds wild. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's true. Like, I think part of the the pick-me thing that's, like, irritating is how completely taken by themselves they are. Um, <laughs> or how completely, you know, it's like, it's almost as though, and, and, I, and I, this is going to be real mean, but you see it a lot on Instagram, like, or social media. People posting as though they are a person in love with them posting. You know, like mm. they, you know, post pictures of themselves, like in the, this sort of like, you know, dead wife montage, <laughs> you know, like, like lit angelically and, and like, or, you know, in a field of flowers or whatever. And it's like, wow, you know, you're posting this as though you're trying to invite someone to like, be like, wow, isn't she great? Isn't she the, the greatest person ever? And there's <laughs> like this, in order to like present as a pick me, you almost have to like understand you have to like advertise the things you think will make people fall in love with you and like mm-hmm. ha- that they're that they're quirky. Like, oh, like you just said, Naomi, like the beer thing. Um, oh, I love IPAs. Isn't it weird? And it's like some guy who's like, I'm looking for a woman who loves IPAs is going to like hone in on her. Alyssa, Naomi brought up something that I thought was interesting about how men can tell when you don't give a fuck anymore. Like, yeah. That's a widely known thing. I know a ton of people who have like met their long-term partner when they were like, you know what? This is fine. Um, why do you think that Pick Me perseveres in light of the <laughs> fact that a higher quality person will find you when you're comfortable with yourself? The Pick Me, okay, so you have to think about it. The Pick Me is living a narrative they've created right? Mm-hmm. Because the pick me can have all kinds of like pers- like likes, dislikes. Like it's, they are cultivating the image of the person they want to reel in. So it's really not about the fact that one of us will find the person that we're meant to be with when we're acting like ourselves. It's that they don't want that person necessarily. They want the person they've created in their head. Mm-hmm. And so that is the person they're trying to get. And when they get that person, that's when they stop. But they're not, they're not trying to find, like if one of these pick me's, 
what a funny thing. It's like, it sounds like a flower. One of these pick me's, one of these pick me's isn't looking for the love of their life necessarily. They're looking for the person that's going to fulfill the things on their Pinterest board. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, Right? Yes, yes, yes. And so that's why I think that they continue to thrive. Well, mm-hmm. I also I also think that it's also, again, pick me, there is a level of control in this process, right? If you think, okay, I can get a person by doing these things, it gives you a lot more control than just, I'm supposed to just walk around looking half decent and hope someone cares. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, I will say this, like, the way I dress to go out in a relationship and also a relationship that's steady. I mean, after like year four, <laughs> the way I dress to go out now is nothing like the way I used to dress when I was trying You know what I'm saying? Like what Alyssa was saying, but also just that sense of it is specifically like I have no reason to impress anybody. I want nobody to approach me. I'm not going out with a sense of hope that something could change. (laughs) I'm just out here, okay, (laughs) having a canopy, and I'm dressed accordingly. (laughs) And that is because I don't need anything from this interaction, right, or for this socializing. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, when you decide to be, you know, a pick-me-girl, holding a bouquet of forget-me-nots, you <laughs> are cre- not just looking for a certain person and trying to live a narrative, but, like, you are trying to control this process. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good point. Yeah, and I think sometimes being disingenuous is another way to control. Like, because if you are acting, if you're if you're trying to craft a self that is separate from your actual self, then the person who falls in love with that self isn't really breaking up with you. They're breaking up with the creation that you made. Do you know what I mean? God, you guys, I feel like we just got to the bottom of the entire 90 Day Fiance franchise. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that also has to do with poverty. Okay? I know, I know, I know. know. It's both. It's both, you know? (laughs) But it is like, what? It is like, oh, God. I mean, to me, I always, you know, kind of thought, I think I stopped faking it when I realized how hard it was to fake because I was like, It'll be bad if I get someone who wants this because I don't know how long I can sustain this. Right. And so I just kind of stopped, you know, the whole shy and quiet and whatever. And it's like, this is it. Take it or leave it, you know. And a lot of times they take it and then leave it. You know, (laughs) that was New York City for you. That was New York City for you. But, yeah, it took a long time to figure that out, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think figuring it out is an important, like, part of growth. So there's a part of me that thinks that like, you know, poking fun at pick meism is a little it's fair, but it's also a little bit unfair because a lot of these people are just learning what they want and what they don't want and they're just trying to fit in in a in a place that feels kind of hard to fit in if they don't know the answer key to it. Um and I also have have found that as with like anything that singles out women, uh, I found that sometimes people use it as an excuse to be like misogynist in their own way. Like men who complain about pick me's, it's like, well, why don't you complain about the men that can't see through a person who's faking their entire personality? You know, <laughs> right. like, you know, the the reason that a pick me, a pick me uh, act is ever effective is because like the men they're trying to impress are idiots. Right, you know? right. Why do you also not just that, right? Like the men who want a woman who is exactly like them, basically, who's like, I want a woman who's going to sit next to me while I watch a sporting event. 
Mm-hmm. Really? Go get some friends. Like, totally. Like, nothing I love more. Like, Andy and I, again, and he's not, he's not traditionally masked, okay? And whenever <laughs> he does something masculine, like, he got weights and he's, like, exercising. And then he'll joke, he'll go, will you love me when I'm buff? Will you love me <laughs> when I have muscles? You know? Like, it's, like, not. <laughs> However, there's nothing I love more than having separate things. You know I what agree. I mean? Like, you have this thing you really like and you go off and do. And then, like, you come back rejuvenated, you've had fun, you've gotten your energy out, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. The idea of having to be the person who partakes in all of that feels like a lot of extra work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, you know, there's specific things that I know that I like that Josh will never like because they are objectively stupid. Like, <laughs> I, I love watching, like, the first two or three weeks of every season of The Bachelor or Bachelor because <laughs> I like the I like the spectacle. I like the parade of, of like, producer-prompted stunts. I like the person riding in on a camel. And, like, you know, I, I like the, you know, I like all that stuff. And, and it's so dumb. But, and I know Josh will never like doing it. But when, like, I also have a Joe Millionaire in our DVR right now. And, <laughs> I have been, like, waiting for a night that, like, I don't have to do any work. Juniper is sleeping and Josh is some- elsewhere. Yes. Because I want to watch it on the big TV. I want to watch the first episode <laughs> of fucking Joe Millionaire on the big TV. And that's not ever going to be anything that we do together. I'm never going to sit there and listen to Josh's Pittsburgh sports podcast <laughs> that he listens to 24-7 as a way to calm down, even though it's, like, men complaining about imaginary outcomes. Like, that is <laughs> – like, I'm never going to like that. And I think that he understands that, like, I love us doing – separate things. And if I had been like a, gotten with Josh because of pick meism, I would be stuck listening to like You this listen guy. to that podcast every yeah, single day. Yeah. They all sound like they're eating sandwiches as they're talking. <laughs> like yeah. And talk um, about shrill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Those sports podcasts. I, I can't my husband listens to them in the bathroom through the bathroom speakers. So, of course, I can hear it throughout the house. And I'm just like, oh, my God, are you deaf? Like, what is that? And it's like, no, that's just how loud they speak. Oh, God. It's like men on Zoom. You know, it's like you're in – they oh, they can't hear you. Like, the sound isn't transferred from you yelling to right, the right. recipient yes. of your Zoom call. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think ultimately what the pick me conversation does is like expose this sort of like completely fucked up dynamic between a lot of hetero people. Like there's a lot of men who really should just consider fucking their friends if they want to, (laughs) they want to be with a, if you want to be with a a guy, be with a guy's guy, you know, you know, (laughs) that's fine. This is the year of our Lord 2022. Like there is no, no judgment whatsoever. And if you live in a place where there is judgment, you can move to like the nearest city and there will not be judgment, you know? And I think that like, you know, there's nothing helpful in being a woman who feels the need to like differentiate herself from other women by wearing a like I don't know this is going to date me but like wearing a von dutch hat and like <laughs> <laughs> well I was going to say a foam so, finger so I see, thought you were I, much cooler <laughs> I was going to say dressing like Eddie Vedder so I, we've all revealed our age oh yeah man Eddie Vedder he you know what I I have a theory of Eddie Vedder I think that he he wrote music like from like a female gaze perspective. 
G-A-Z-E, not G-A-Y-S. Like, he writes music that women want to hear men sing. Hmm. Yeah. You know? I mean. And so, like, men were like, I wish I could sing this to the woman that I love. And women were like, I wish my man would sing this song to me. (laughs) And I just, my hair looked like his when I didn't blow it dry. (laughs) I think that's the grunge look is just like. It was 93. It's like drip drying, you know? Yeah. You got to drip dry. It's coming back. It's coming back in style. Um, Okay. We're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we've got an I Feel Petty. This episode of Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Need the perfect Mother's or Father's Day gift? Check out Viore Performance Apparel. Drawing inspo from the coastal California lifestyle, Viore's products inspire others to live vibrant, active lives. I love that they're calling this the coastal California lifestyle. I will embrace that instead of what I thought it was, which was the I only want to wear comfortable clothes lifestyle. Yeah. I have to. I refuse to be uncomfortable I refu- if I want to be productive. I refuse <laughs> to be uncomfortable, but sometimes I have to look like I belong in a respectable place lifestyle, which is like yeah. Viore is perfect for it because they the clothes look fantastic. They fit great. They are so comfortable. I lie down in mine all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, Erin, the women's performance joggers. They have a slim but relaxed fit and are designed with dream knit stretch fabric. I love my joggers. I've slept in mine. I've slept in them. Really? You don't get hot? No. They're very, like, on oh. a, like a couch nap. You know, you have like a, oh yeah. you've got like maybe a half an hour in the afternoon. You're like, ooh, I've got a like small break. I'm very tired. I'm going to just like lay down for 20 minutes. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect for couch napping. Joggers. I love the leggings. I can work out in them. I can do my errands in them. I can wear them with a proper top to a business meeting. It is not a problem. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you probably could. Just put a a blazer and like— Denim shirt. Denim Denim shirt, blazer, leggings. So easy. 100%. And, of course, the men's core shorts. They have a classic athletic fit, falling just above the knee while the Sunday performance joggers are made from recycled performance stretch fabric. I got my dad some men's core shorts. He wears them to mow the lawn. It's perfect. He is like I think my my dad is one of those people that just like beats the crap out of his clothes. He'll wear them until they're— they look like a security blanket that a 30-year-old yep. still has where it's just like a ball of string and you're like, um, Our dads are the same. Yeah, yeah. But um, my dad has had his for like a couple years now and I think I, I saw him wearing them the other week when I met up with um, family on a, on a short weekend trip and they still looked great. It was like, Dad, your clothes still look new. <laughs> so fancy. Viore is offering Hysteria listeners 20% off your first purchase. Get some of the most comfy and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. You'll also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. And welcome back. We have an I Feel Petty segment to get to, but before we do that, a little bit of housekeeping. We are opening up our inbox for nominations for Fuck That Guy. 
If you have somebody who deserves to be called out, send us a 30-second voice memo at hysteria at crooked.com. Just a reminder, anybody can be a guy. A woman can be a guy. A guy can be a guy. A child can be a guy if they're a public figure. Just make sure your Fuck That Guy nominees are public figures and uh, let her rip. Okay, house has been kept. Time for I Feel Petty. I feel petty about something this week, guys. It's a big issue that has a petty thing inside mm-hmm. of it, okay? Oh, yeah. That's the theme of mine, too. <laughs> right. It's like, a, it's like a petty eclair. You know, the filling, <laughs> the filling is what we're going after. Okay. So Joss Whedon, the creator and writer of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Firefly and Dollhouse and I think a couple of the Avengers movies, uh, big-time Hollywood writer, did an interview with Vulture this week uh, that was supposed to be redemptive. So Whedon <laughs> had been accused a few years ago of kind of being shitty to women, not like Weinstein level shitty, but like, you know, like bad boss, sexually inappropriate, that kind of level of shitty, you know, sleeping with people who are uh, below him on the totem pole, et cetera. Um, and so I feel like this interview was supposed to make him He thought it was going to make him look good, but it ended up being one of those celebrity profiles where the writer just kind of let him talk and wrote down (laughs) what he said and like didn't inject any opinion whatsoever. And the whole thing reads as the writer is very neutral. But when you get done with it, you're like, wow, what a dick. You know, he really looks bad. Um, And which is really disappointing because I, you know, he's like the type of person that before all the allegations came out, you're sort of like, I'm rooting for him. You know, he wrote strong female characters. He was really interested in having women front and center in the work that he did. But then, you know, all the bad stuff came out. So here is my I feel petty. When I read that profile, I thought, you know, if you're somebody who's planning on getting very famous, um, Naomi, uh, (laughs) You have to keep somebody around you who is constantly busting your balls, who you cannot fire. You Mm. have to have somebody that is going to like pop your balloon, bring you down, uh, tell you that you have to work harder. Not necessarily someone who's going to neg you all the time, but somebody who is going to be a reality check. Because I feel like a lot of these people who just, they they start to feel like they're gods and they're beyond reproach Mm -hmm. and nothing bad can happen to them. And I feel like if they just had... A person who was around being like, you can't do that. Nope, you're not, you're not the greatest writer of all time. You're not a god. You're not a, you know, you're you don't get to sleep with actresses just because they're around and you were a nerd when you were a kid. Like, no, stop mm-hmm. it. They need a they need a reality check person around all the time. So to anybody out there who's planning on becoming fabulously rich and famous, find somebody who is always gonna take you down a notch. And that because, for me is Alyssa. And that <laughs> Nay, thank you. <laughs> uh, Alyssa, who's yours? Who's your take you down a notch person? Oh, God. Uh, my sister. My sister, 100%. She's <laughs> just like, like, she, there is nothing. Like, when she either came to my book events or, like, anything she ever does, she'll be like, you know it's crazy, right, that these people came to see you. And I was like, yeah, I do. It's cool. She's like, okay. She also kept me humble when she wore my regular size clothes in her eighth month of pregnancy. But... <laughs> Rude. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. Wow. I would say, you know what? Speaking of kids, children will keep you humble. You just keep a kid around, they're going to be like, that doesn't look good on you. Like, they'll just tell yeah. you things. Oh, my niece? She'll be like, wee wee, you don't have friends. I was like, <laughs> yes, I do. Wee wee, you have friends? Like, the face all squunched up. Wee wee, oh. really? Oh. And then, like, an hour later, she comes back. Wee wee, you have friends? <laughs> 
I was like, cool, you're welcome for wrapping all your Christmas presents. <laughs> the one's not from Santa, of course, in case she ever listens. <laughs> when she's like seven, she's going to be like, wait a minute. She's going, wee, wee, where's Santa? <laughs> And Alyssa, she does speak at me aggressively like that. And also calling you wee-wee. It's like she a lot. Wee-wee. It's a real power move, the whole thing. I mean, everyone calls me wee-wee in my family, so it's okay. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> you're so short? Because I always have to pee. <laughs> oh. Well, you also speak French. You could have said because I speak French. Wee-wee. Uh, oui, oui. Yes, yes. I could have. But I'm telling you the truth, which is that since the sixth or seventh grade, I've been called wizzy or wee-wee because I always had to pee. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, Alyssa, speaking of you, uh, what do you feel petty about this week? So here's what I feel petty about, you guys. I woke up this morning. I have not been sleeping. I've been waking up in the middle of the night very hot, mm. and then I can't fall back to sleep. And so I sh- I try to do things like put on the call map and listen to Harry Styles, but <laughs> – Sometimes I go on the internet and I found this article and I guess I just feel like if you're going to write an article, there has to be something actionable in it if it is as follows. Title, women 32% more likely to die after operation by male surgeon study reveals. So I read this whole article about a study done in the UK and I just want to read you the first two quick sentences. Women who are operated on by a male surgeon are much more likely to die, experience complications, and be readmitted to hospital than when a woman performs the procedure, research reveals. Women are 15% more liable to suffer a bad outcome and 32% more likely to die when a man rather than a woman carries out the surgery according to a study of 1.3 million patients. What the fuck are we supposed to do with that information? What is that supposed to do other than terrify us? Like... When I got into my car accident and they took me in the ambulance to the ER, it's not like I could be like, mm, is there a woman? But now if anything ever happens to me, this is all I'm going to think about. This is oh all I'm going to think about. And I just feel like I'm sure this is real. I'm sure we probably knew it. You know, like I'm sure in our heads we're like, you know, we probably have a better chance if a woman gets in there. But no. And so now anyway, I then I read this and I really didn't go back to sleep. And I was like, you have to be fucking kidding me. And oh I went God. through my head and I'm like, all oh, my doctors are mad. <laughs> <laughs> Except you know my gyno, but that's it. When I when I uh, went to the hospital to have Juniper, I requested uh, that only women like do cervical checks and like work on me with the birth because I just don't. For you know, I'm sure there's fine male gynecologists. I just don't want them around me. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, there was a sign I noticed after I left in my like wheelchair to go see her. Um, there was a sign on my door where I gave birth that said, no men. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh That's my God. awesome. Erin, do you have a picture? No, I Because that is like, that's hysteria in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been, we've been thinking about having, letting like, a uh, man on that's like, he's with us kind of a dude, you know? Yeah. But a pick me guy? Be, yeah, a pick me guy. <laughs> <laughs> the one pick me guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, no men. When I was like in the whole birthing thing, except the anesthesiologist who gave me the epidural was a man. Well, you can trust like, him to knock you out. He doesn't yeah, want to hear he your had mouth. to be in and out. He oh, was like, yeah. do what you got to do and be gone. Yep, yep, <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, Naomi, do you have a I feel petty for the week? It's so funny because I am like filled with rage and there's just so many things swimming in my head. But I'm not going to talk about fear fatigue vis-a-vis COVID. 
what I'm going to talk about is people who say to me, uh, people who, you know, when they find out I'm a comic or people who have um, seen the half hour, what's interesting now, people who go, good for you. That's good for you. You're like, there is something I hate so much about the phrase good for you. It is so condescending and it implies like, look at you, lady talking. <laughs> you, lady talker. You decided to go talk professionally and they're letting you? <laughs> good for you. The for you part. Yes, it's the for you, right? Like it is, and especially like, you know, and that's different than uh, you're so brave, which I don't <laughs> love, but I also get it for people who really find public speaking to be terrifying. You know what right. I mean? Like I get how some people can say that. But that good for you is something that just feels like you don't get to decide what is a worthwhile profession, what is a lark for somebody, you know, what you think is outlandish or wacky. Good for you. Good for you. It's, you see what I'm saying? They go, good yeah. for you. <laughs> it is an octave, okay? Like they've gone up top and then they take it down low. And I find it really, really condescending and just like, leave me alone or just don't say anything. Just don't say anything. You know, what about what about love that for you? Love that for you. Love that for you is very funny to me because I say that a lot <laughs> because it's for something that I think is insane. But if you enjoy it, I'm like, love that for you. That sounds psychotic, <laughs> but I love that for you. Like when someone's like, oh, my God, like we went hiking for two hours this morning. I'm like, love that for you. <laughs> you know? So good for you. Don't tell Naomi that because she'll get mad at you. It's condescending. It makes well, me unless sad. unless someone says it like "good for you," <laughs> good for you. Like no, you got that's it. just an old nope, ladies' version. That's of good not for okay. you. No, nope, that's the same <laughs> oh, thing. It is a little they... like like very like put yourself out there, dark woman. <laughs> it's just like I don't like it. I don't like good for you. I don't like good for you. You literally wait. The way you say good for you is literally how I talk to all of my cats. You just say good for you. Good for you. <laughs> oh, Winky, you fetched the ball. Good for you. That's why you don't say it to a person. Like, exactly. I don't. You say it to like a tiny animal or a small child, but with not an adult eye. woman with a <laughs> half an hour stand-up special on Netflix that our listeners can watch whenever they want because it is on demand. Uh, it is. And you know one last thing I feel petty about? Right. What? Naomi, where's your 60 minute special? Well, honey, we got to be adding Netflix as a joke on all the social that's platforms. That's what we're going to do. Because I think do. that's what has to happen. I'm dying to know how many people watched it. And of course, I could never know that. And <laughs> it is like, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Ted Sarandos will decide. And I'm like, Ted, you already have a black wife and you've also made questionable choices. So why don't you get on board? <laughs> Guys, I think we solved some real problems. I think yeah. we saw we brought people together. And yeah. I would also like the record to show that Juniper has also watched my half hour. So there's no <laughs> excuse for anybody else who hasn't done it. Okay. There's somebody who's literally new to the world who was like, mm -hmm. what's hot? What's happening? What do I need to know? Exactly. And then she watched it. She did. She got dressed up for it too. She wore a, a jumpsuit. Hello. Hello, <laughs> Queen. All right. Uh, that's all the time we have for this episode of Hysteria. Thank you, Alyssa, for being my ride or die. Thank you, Naomi, for being amazing and coming by this week. Thank you to Jay Smith Cameron for her performance as Jerry on Succession. And thanks to all of you, the listeners. There will be more Hysteria for you next week. I am from another planet, this nation, 
Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis are the sound engineers, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you to our digital team, Nar Melkonian, Nia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroot. Silence is golden, especially when it comes to brakes. That's why Napa Silent Guard are built to be one of the smoothest and most quiet brakes on the market. Made with fiber-reinforced shins that eliminate noise for the life of the pad. Rubber-coated hardware for a better fit and quality design that meets and exceeds OE performance. Silent Guard brakes deliver the stopping power drivers demand. Available now at Napa locations nationwide. Napa.